and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show, a podcast for counsellors and therapists. With me, Jane Travis, I'm an ex-counsellor that now helps other therapists to grow their practice and to attract more clients more easily. So let's get started. Hi and welcome back. And if this is your first visit, it's really great to have you here. And if you are new, you've joined us at a great time because I've got a very special guest, Lindsay Brian Podvin with me. Now, Lindsay is a biracial financial therapist and wellness expert. She's a speaker and she's also the author of the book, The Financial Anxiety Solution. She's a practicing LMSW since 2012 and she uses a a shame-free approach to help to get people's minds and their money in balance by focusing on the intersection of money and mental health. Now, while financial literacy is important, she champions the belief that money is rooted in emotions and impacted by the systems around us. Interesting, right? And she's very knowledgeable. She's got a degree in sociology, a master's in social work, with certificates in financial social work and financial therapy too. She lives with her partner and their dog on the occupied land of the Anishinaabe, which is also known as Michigan. Now, we talked about such an interesting subject. You know, we talk, we're talking about how our training as therapists can actually hold us back as private practitioners. So we cover in this, you know, how our training can make it difficult to trust ourselves. We look at how our training can make it hard for us to feel comfortable marketing ourselves. And I wonder if you've ever felt that. We share some tips to cultivate self-trust both inside and outside the therapy room. And we also talk about the benefits of a niche and also, you know, my seedling niche, which is something that I do with my members. So we talk about how that can help you to attract the right sort of clients with the sorts of issues that you feel deeply passionate about. And we also look at how to feel safer in our marketing messages. So I think you're going to like this. Let's dive in. So Lindsay, thank you so much for coming today. As always, as you know, I love having a chat with you. And the reason I contacted you was basically I've been contemplating doing this podcast for a long time. And I mean, months. I've spoken to counselling friends and I've discussed it and I've been all around the houses with it, but something just didn't fit with me. But when I was sort of checking you out, as I do, I saw that you'd written a blog on a very, very similar thing. And so that's why I contacted you to say, well, do you fancy coming on? Let's just have a, rather than me try to, you know, make it into a podcast, let's just have a chat about it and see if it just helps people to, you know, think about things differently. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be here talking about self-trust and hiding and marketing. These are some of the things that really light me up. And I think counselors are so well equipped to do this, but they get in their own way and it's really not their fault. So yeah, this will be a fun conversation. Yeah. And I think it, for me, it all comes down to training, the sort of mm-hmm. training that we have. We have very intense training. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what we're going to be talking about is a lot to do with oh, the, the way we market ourselves and getting comfortable with the way that we market ourselves. But I think sometimes the way that we market ourselves is difficult because we've been told that in the counselling room, it's all about the client and it's not about you. You have to not self-disclose. You have to be kind of a bit of a blank slate. You know, you have to consider what's in the counselling room, what's on the walls. Sometimes people consider what they wear. and the fact that we're taught that we have to hide ourselves 
in that respect and not really put our personalities out there can then become something that can hold us back when it comes to trying to attract clients. Yeah, it's and it's so interesting, this concept of the blank slate therapist that has been taught to all of us, because we know that none of us are blank slates. And to pretend that our clients think we are blank slates, I also think is, you know, doing them a disservice, right? When a client comes into the room, either virtually or in person, Jane, within a moment, they can tell we're not a blank slate. You know, you and I both present as women. It's pretty obvious what our race is, what our age is. There are things that we just simply cannot hide. And so to pretend that we aren't who we are, I find it to be so, so strange. And nowadays, more and more clients are searching for therapists who have some sort of understanding of their lived experience, right? It's becoming more and more common for clients who are part of the queer community to seek out therapists who are also a part of that community or for clients of color to also be seeking out other other clinicians of color or for clients who are going through divorce to find a therapist or a counselor who has that lived experience. And it's not about us as therapists or counselors turning into the patient, right? We don't want that. But it's about saying with a nod and with a look like, get you. I've been there. I understand in a way that being a blank slate just doesn't do. And we talk so much about rapport building and empathy and trust with our clients. But a lot of that just comes from how they feel in the space with us. And a lot of that has to do with us not being a blank slate. Absolutely. And I think the fact as well, I I just think when we think about the history of of therapy and counseling, and I know, I mean, from what I've, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but what I do know is that having therapy, having counselling is relatively new. I think maybe the 50s or so, mm-hmm. you, pr- you probably know more than me. So it's relatively new. And it wasn't a thing, certainly in the UK, going out to get therapy is very, very new. It's not even mainstream yet. It's getting there. It's now getting that, you know, everybody's aware of therapy. The stigma's starting to go a little bit. But part of that is the fact that people are now aware of it. Now we have loads more therapists. So when I first went to therapy, I was in my early 20s, which was a long time ago. I'm an old person now. (laughs) But, you know, I'm in my 50s now. So in my early 20s was, you know, quite a long time ago. There was no option who I went to. You know, the, the person that said about going to therapy, I had one name that I could go to, private therapist, that it back in that time, There was the yellow pages. Mm -hmm. And if you looked in the yellow pages, there was probably, you know, one or two therapists in your area. When you think that, you know, compare that to now, when you look at online directories in your area, there can be hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. So it's not a case of somebody wants to go and get some counselling and chooses a counsellor. It's a lot more sophisticated now. People People have an understanding of a bit more about what they want, what they need, rather than just a counsellor, any counsellor to deal with anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, I I absolutely do. I think for so long, because there were so few counsellors and because people didn't really understand what it was for, a generalist was fine because Mm -hmm. that's all we had. But I think it's so important to say, I'm in fact a specialist and I specialized in working with this particular niche. I think, Jane, your idea of a seedling niche is so powerful for marketing purposes. Because when we say, oh, I'm a counselor and 
I'm trained in a little bit of this and that and the other thing. How is a person who is in need of help and, and wants support, how are they supposed to pick you out of the crowd versus if you're clear on who you are, who you help and how you help them? That also makes it easier for them. We want the counseling experience to be kind and clear from the beginning. And I think that does start with our marketing. Absolutely. And also, I mean, the other side of that is that as a private counsellor, you know, running your own business, you can choose to work with the people and the issues and the things that really fire you up, Mm. you feel really passionate about, that you really love learning about. You know, you, you have your, you know, your bookcase is full of books on that subject, not because you have to read it, but because you're really interested in it. Mm -hmm. So therefore it makes sense, doesn't it, to... Bring as many people as, as that into your into your private practice and work with the things that really you love to work with. Mm-hmm. And it it's it's also beneficial for the clients. Again, I think about when we we talk often when we're talking to other counselors, we're talking about the training that we have or the interventions that we do. But research again and again, Jane, shows that it really doesn't matter what training or expertise you have. It's whether or not you are a good fit for the client and the client feels safe with you. So you can have as many certifications on the wall as you want, but if they don't feel connected to you, they're not going to be able to engage in that type of intervention. And I love what you said about the things that we're excited to do. Those are also the clients who will see that spark within us. You know, you know me, I love financial therapy. I love talking about money anxiety and financial shame and practicing financial self-care. And those are the types of clients who I will do my best work with, right? So it's it's this win-win when we can say, I trust myself to serve a particular client population. And I trust that when I'm clear with them about who I am and what I do in my marketing, that they'll be able to find me. Yeah. Because I mean, the therapeutic relationship, the therapeutic alliance is in all the different modalities, it's it's key, isn't it? It's 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 vital. It's really important. And I think that by putting yourself out there and being attractive to those sorts of people that you want to work with, that it's going to help that therapeutic alliance. You know, they're going to start to get a sense of you. And it's not that you're sharing anything about anything personal in the same way as if they have their first session with you, they'll get a sense of you just by the way you wear your hair or what you're wearing on, you know, what clothes you're wearing or, or mm-hmm. all of that. They'll just get a sense of you. And if they get a sense of you through their marketing, then they're going to be more open to the the, the therapy that they do. It's going to it's going to make it easier. You know, it's a little bit mm-hmm. like that difference between the sort of cl- counselor, sorry, the sort of client that comes that is like walking through treacle. It's really hard work, and the sort of counselor that sorry, the sort of client. Get my words mixed up. The sort of client that turns up where. They almost feel like, oh, I'm sure we could be friends if we weren't in this situation. You know, it just kind of flows and everything just works a little bit better. Oh, I love that you said that one, an Instagram reel that I have that probably has the most views I've ever had. I guess I would say it kind of went vaguely viral was an Instagram reel where I shared the the best worst thing about my practice because I'm incredibly clear on the types of clients that I serve is that I feel like in a different world, we could be best friends, right? That to me is such a gift to be so clear on the type of person that I work with that I genuinely care about them, right? I don't have to manufacture compassion for them 
I don't have to manufacture positive regard. I genuinely adore them in a platonic way and yes, I want yeah. them to be a- and as good as they can be. And I can see their potential for coming into themselves. Yeah. And I mean, when we talk about the no like, and trust factor, don't we? So mm-hmm. anybody who's, who doesn't know what that is, the no like, and trust factor is where people buy from or use the services of people that they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. So if you're out there doing your marketing and people do get a sense of you and they start to like you and to trust you, then that means they're going to be more likely to go to you and they're going to have that trust. They're already going to feel connected. I've got a friend who um, was talking about with this with me. I'm sure we did a podcast about it. Sarah, Sarah DeSinge, I'll, I'll share the details. And she was saying that because she is so prevalent on Instagram, that when people come to her, she doesn't really have a, like an initial call with them anymore because they've already decided. They've seen enough of mm. her. They've listened to her podcast. They've had a look at her YouTube channel. They've read her book. You know, she's all, she's all over the place, bless her. And they've got such a good sense of her that they don't have to, that the meeting her, it's, all, it's almost like they've already met her at that yes. point. Yes, I, I love that. And what, what came to mind when you were talking about the no like, and trust was how this conversation even got started, was that you were trying to figure out how can we help counselors trust themselves enough to put themselves out there in marketing. And I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. You know, we're trained to be blank slates. We're trained to question our judgment. We're trained to underemphasize our thoughts and feelings and insights because it's immediately labeled as counter-transference. And I'm not, I'm not here saying that counter-transference isn't real. It absolutely is. But I think we're so fearful of making a mistake that then we just don't do anything at all, both in the clinical room, especially when we're starting out, but certainly when it comes to marketing, we don't trust ourselves enough to be able to say, I feel comfortable disclosing this thing about how I work in my practice, or I feel comfortable sharing a little bit about my background. And with your friend who who has clients coming to her saying, I feel like I already know you, she's obviously been able to figure out what feels safe enough to self-disclose about who she is and what she likes and how she approaches the therapy room to have clients say, ah, that's exactly the type of person that I want to work with. And the interesting thing is she doesn't disclose a lot of herself personally, as in she doesn't talk Mm -hmm. about what she's doing, where she's going, you know, whether Mm. she's in a relationship or not. None of that's discussed. It's just Mm. her personality and the way that she talks about things and her passion, of course, always comes out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly it. When we have that that ability to say, this is what I love to do, that shines through. Yeah. Mm. I'm just, I know we've got a very similar story and it just reminds me, I'm I'm thinking about... (laughs) You know, we're talking about how our training can impact the Mm. work that we do and -hmm. sometimes in a negative way when it comes to marketing. And I know that we've both got a very similar story and maybe you'll say yours as well. But I can remember (laughs) my my very first, the very first person I had on placement. And of course, I was absolutely terrified. And when it was time for them, they must have known. They must have known. They must have picked up. And when they were about to leave, they asked me a personal question. It was something about holiday, maybe if I was, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but it's really banal. Yeah. And I can remember thinking, oh my God, I'm not supposed to say anything. Right. I am not supposed to say anything. So I sort of just, it makes me cringe now. But I said, oh, I wonder why you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. It's I know. terrible. 
<laughs> I know, I know. And, and that I love that example because I had a similar thing happen of somebody that asked me very directly my age and, you know, our training equips us to default and to diverge any sort of personal question. And so rather than saying, you know, I'm in my, you know, this was 12, 13 years ago when I was doing my, my clinicals. And I'm fortunate to say I present quite young. So if you imagine me 12 years ago, I did probably look quite young. So to say, you know, why are you asking that? Or, or what makes you think that versus just saying, you know, I'm in my mid to late 20s and and I hope that's okay. You know, something. But instead of pretending like, I'm not going to let you guess my age. Like, it is so silly. Yeah, it's so yeah. silly. And even in that question with your client saying, oh, where are you going on holiday? Or what are you doing over this holiday break? Rather than saying like, oh, I'm just going to spend some time with my dogs or I'm going to be gardening. That would be actual lovely rapport building. But instead, we're trained to say, don't ask me that. Why are you yeah. asking? And it's like, it, that's part of rapport building yeah. is doing a little bit of this, not too much self-disclosure, but just normalizing that we're people yeah. outside of the therapy room. Because it's just normal conversation. You know, yeah. it's normal conversation. It's just considered polite. So if you mm. close somebody down and say, oh, I can't tell you that. It makes them feel awful. Awful, awful. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm like, sure I've heard of a situation where a client came with some flowers on the last session and they, mm. the counsellor just didn't know what to do with them. It was like, no. should I accept them? It's like, I, and I think we, it's, it's not because we're bad counsellors. It's because they just want to do the right thing. Mm. They've been taught that this is the right thing and therefore that is what they're going to do. Yeah, and I think... What was the phrase you used for this? You said it at the start. Mm. Oh, just that that we what did I say at the start? Just just that we're we're constantly seeking reassurance from others that it's okay for us to do what we want to do. Yeah. You had a phrase. I don't oh, remember good. what it was now. I can't <laughs> remember what it was now. Me either. Oh yeah, self trust. Yes. yes, yes. I think that's okay. lovely. Self trust. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of trusting instinct, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to, as as counselors, learn how to strengthen our self trust so that we can market ourselves. Right. Think about the number of counselors you've seen who spend months, and that's not an exaggeration. Going, should I use this logo? or that logo? Should I use this font or that font? Should I use Squarespace or Wix? Like, right, they spend so much time on these little teensy details that six months have gone by and they haven't even done step one of marketing. And so I think it's really important for us to get comfortable making mistakes, right? Like, I know that just sent a lot of anxious clinicians (laughs) possibly make a mistake in my marketing. But taking that first step and seeing what happens, pick, choose the first logo, run with it a little bit, see how it feels to have it up on your website, see what it feels like to have it in your email signature. And maybe you realize like, oh, I don't actually love the way that this looks or actually those colors look beautiful. And then we can take the next step. But so often we are ricocheting in our heads about what's better or what's worse that we never actually take the first step. I love in your recent email, you called it procrastibranding. <laughs> it was so good, right? You would do a new logo here or a new business card or a new postcard instead of just saying like, this is who I am and this is what I do and this is how I help people. We spend so much time behind our screens trying to get these minute details right rather than being okay 
making a logo that's like that great, but it's also yeah. not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's classic self-sabotage, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I, Absolutely. I, I, I have done all of those things. I have mm-hmm. literally done all of those things. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is with a logo, you can spend hours, you can spend, well, you can get one made up for hundreds of pounds. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that six months later you'll hate it and yep. you want a new one. Yep. Because that's the way it is. So, I, you know, trying to get it perfect. Well, there's no such thing as perfect in that situation because six months down the line, you'll have changed your mind. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's, to me, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think changing your mind is an okay thing, whether it comes to your seedling niche or your logo. We're so worried about having it right and perfect. And we imagine that it's going to be, you know, this this immovable thing versus acknowledging that things will change over time. My niche, as you know, we chatted before we we hit record, has changed over time and I imagine it will continue to change. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It gets more detailed or it gets more broad or the audience that I'm speaking to tweaks and changes over time. And to me, that's really beneficial because it means that I'm continuing to do the type of work that lights me up, which helps to make me a good clinician for the types of clients who I'm meant to work with. Yeah, there's nothing worse than being bored in your own business. Oh, nothing worse. You have to be able to have that fire yeah, to, to be really passionate about getting out there and doing what it is you do, because otherwise you never so it. unfair. It's so unfair to a client. Can you imagine sitting across from a, a, a counselor who's bored? That's awful. That's so unkind, yeah. right? We don't we don't want to do that to ourselves, but we certainly don't want to do it to clients. We don't yeah. have clients that we're watching the clock on. Yeah. That's awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. I mean, something else that that sort of comes to mind when I think about how training might hold us back is this idea as well that, oh, and again, it's one of those things where I understand it and in the counselling room I can see that that's what, but it's that idea that you're not the expert. Mm. So I can understand in the counselling room that it's like, right, you're the expert on you. I'm here to help to sift through the stuff that you're going to give me mm. so mm. we can find something that feels right for you. I can completely get that. That's I'm totally behind that. When it comes to marketing your practice, you've got to let people know that you're, you don't have to say expert. I mean, I can understand they don't want to say expert. You've got to let them know, though, through what you're sharing, that you are an authority in it. You understand it. You know about it. You're interested in it. And you've got to let that through. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a key to being able to market your practice is to say, this is my unique skill set. Right. You, it's, it's also really unnerving. You know, you and I have both looked for therapists or counselors on our own. There's nothing worse than landing on a website that is vague. I don't trust that you can help me make a change if I don't even understand what it is that you do. <laughs> it's like yeah. weird. Again, we're just doing such a disservice to these clients. And I think it's so important to just put out that niche, put out that tagline, put out that website. And get some real world feedback, right? We can't know if our niche statement or our website or our marketing is working if all it does is hang out in a password protected, you know, website, or if we never publish our name on a on a therapist yeah. directory, or we never actually print those business cards. Those things will work zero percent of the time, so long yeah. as they are hidden. Yeah, absolutely. Or to think that all the other counsellors know the, the the best thing to do and kind of copy what everybody else is doing. Oh, yeah, there's nothing worse than I say this, and I'm going to 
hurt some people's feelings. And I don't mean to do this. I mean this with the most genuine of care. So many therapist websites lead with, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm a warm, empathic, and compassionate counselor ready to help you on your journey. Those are all nice words, Jane, but they don't really mean anything. Yeah. Right? We hope that at baseline, all of the counselors have compassion and empathy and are kind and are warm. How can you actually help me? That's what I want to know if I'm a client seeking out help. I want to know really clearly what it is that you do. And I think if you're trying to figure out how can I make a decision, I think it's helpful to go, how am I currently seeking other people's reassurance? So many of us, we we post it to a Facebook group and we kind of want somebody else to make the decision for us. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong inherently with posting a question in a Facebook group. Should I use this logo or that logo? But at the end of the day, you have to like it. You have to be excited about it. You have to be excited to put that logo everywhere. And asking a random person on Facebook which logo makes more sense may be helpful. But also you can you can ask yourself what makes most sense. One of my new favorite ways to practice self-trust around a decision in my practice is to flip a coin. And this sounds so strange, but bear with me, is to flip a coin and say, okay, side A is this answer, or heads is this answer, tails is this answer. And then when that coin lands, noticing how it feels in my body, if I was secretly hoping for the other one, right, then that helps me to go, oh, I actually do have a good idea of what I want to do, but I was waffling so much. But to flip a coin and go, oh, that is exactly what I wanted to do in the first place, or to go, oh, I was actually really hoping for the other outcome. We could kind of elicit our own self-trust through doing mm-hmm. something like that versus posting it on on a random website and having random people who don't know you tell you what color you, they like better. Who don't know you and don't know logos as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a brilliant piece of advice, isn't it? It's so true. If, if you ever say to like somebody, should I wear this dress or that one? And they go, yeah. you know, the first one. And you just think, oh, It just makes you realize just what you want. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we can start eliciting our own feedback to strengthen our self-trust and to strengthen our relationship with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And I was was just thinking what you were saying there about what people see on their website. And one of the things, I suppose, again, like you, I'm sorry if this hurts you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my God, my website says that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But a, a little bit of a bugbear for me is when people say they provide a safe space. Yeah. And again, I can completely understand. But when you think that somebody's putting their hand in their pocket, mm. they don't want to put their hand in their pocket to the tune of, you know, however much you're pay- they're paying you because they just want a safe space to talk. Mm. I think a part of this idea of saying that you're not the expert and not guaranteeing any outcomes I think that needs looking at because I think there's a difference between saying, come to me and I'll help you and your depression will go and come with me and, you know, come and talk to me and I'll help to work. I'll, I'll, I'll work with you to help. I'm not saying it now. It's gone out of my head. But rather than just saying, come to me and I'll, I'll make your depression go, it's more about, right, you know, I'm here and I'll help you and I'll do everything I can to work with you on, to get the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. Because one is just a ridiculous idea and the other one is far better than just saying, come and have a chat with me in a safe space. 
you know, we need, we need, I think one of the ways that counsellors, this is one of my things, actually, I've got to get, get on my soapbox now. One of the things I think counsellors sometimes fall down on is they're very, very good at understanding what the current problems are that the person has when they come to mm. counselling. Mm-hmm. But I think that sometimes in their marketing, they're not really clear on what the ideal outcome is for that person. You know, what is it they really want? So if they're struggling with depression, what would be an ideal outcome? If they yes. if they got to the point where they could be, do or have whatever it is that they mm. wanted to, what would that look like? Mm. What can they do? And the more that you can get really into that, so rather than have more confidence, go a bit deeper. For more confidence to do what? What would that actually look like? And yes. then you can express that through your yes. website, through your marketing. So people are saying, well, I'm not just going for a cosy chat. I'm going because that's going to help me to get to where I want to be. And this person seems to understand what I want. Mm, I'm trying to not jump out of my seat because you're <laughs> so right. You're so right. And I think this happens a lot when, when counselors are struggling with how to market what the outcome or what a potential outcome of working with them is like. A lot of, we, we act, I actually find that I, get language for my website from my initial session. Meaning when I ask my new clients, how would you know that you have accomplished what you need to accomplish with our work together so that we can be done, right? I'm asking them right away, what are your goals? Usually they say to me, I don't want to be stressed about money. And then I have to say to them, what would not being stressed about money look like? What is the positive of that? And everybody's answer is going to be different, right? For some person, not being stressed about money means I would have saved X pounds so that I feel safe. Or for somebody else, they would say, I want to be able to talk to my partner about money in a meaningful way. So those are the different things that we can put throughout our website to say, this is what may happen if we work together. So yes, we don't want to feel depressed. What does not feeling depressed look like to you? Oh, for me, it means... I would actually be able to sleep at night and I would be refreshed for other people would be able to say, I would actually be able to engage with my kiddos and not feel like I would rather be scrolling on my phone, right? Those are the very tangible outcomes that we can help our clients to see, especially if a client is struggling with depression or anxiety or low self-esteem. Most of them can't even imagine what life would be like without those symptoms. So we also need to be really clear in painting a picture of what life would look like without those symptoms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I just think this is such a powerful thing. And like I say, I think this is one of the ways that our training can hold us back mm. because it's there's that worry that, well, I, I can't say that for definite this is going to happen. Well, you can't and you're never going to be able to do that. Mm. But you're, that's not what you're saying. You're just saying that this is a possibility. Mm-hmm. There is a possibility. There is. It's giving hope that there is something, you know, that yes. something that is, oh, how do you put it? Something that they might sort of be able to see in their mind's eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tangible outcome. And therapists historically struggle with saying, if you work with me, you will feel X, Y, or Z. We know that that isn't true, but we can say some of my past clients have had these outcomes. Or I can help you find your version of whatever not being depressed looks like. But we have to be able to help our clients understand what they can do. Going back, Jean, to what you said, going to counseling in your 20s, you're like, I think I'm supposed to feel better? 
question mark, right? We want our clients to understand what it will what it will be like to work with us and what yeah. they might be able to find in working with us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, I, another example I've got is I went to get some counselling. I've been to counselling so many times. I'm so messed oh, up. Yeah. I don't know what Same. to say. <laughs> I go in and out all the time. In the life change. Yes. <laughs> And I saw this guy and he was an older guy and he was in a tweed suit with like leather elbow patches. Mm. Mm. And I was young. I was still young yeah. at that point. Well, I'm still young now, obviously. But yes. And I can remember this guy was, and it's that, it's that situation where I know I'm absolutely positive that he was highly qualified and mm. highly skilled and probably had loads and loads of experience. But he sat there looking like my granddad and I was a mm. young girl worried mm. about various things that young girls got up to. And I mm. did not feel comfortable talking with him. I felt very judged. He used words that I didn't understand. And I did used to say, sorry, can you tell me what that means? But after a while, you feel really embarrassed and you just let it pass. And right. that, that's when that's when being able to find the right person. That's when your marketing can help you to find the right person. Because that mm -hmm. person would be ideal for lots of people, but just not for me. Mm -hmm. And I think we do this thing, or at least I'm noticing a lot of the therapists and counselors that I see, is that they struggle to put up those parameters and because they want to be for everyone, right? I don't want to say I only work with millennials because then what if a Gen Z or a Gen X wants to work with me? Or I don't want to say I only work with men because what if a woman wants to work with me, right? We struggle to pay to, to create the, those barriers. And I think I just finished reading Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering. Highly, highly recommend. It's all about how we bring people together and the meaning of being in community with others. But I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but she essentially says, when you close the door to others, you create a sense of safety for those that are in the room. And I think that is so beautiful. If we are really clear and we say, I only work with Gen Xers and I'm a specialist because I'm of that generation. I know what it's like and I'm, I'm uniquely qualified to help them. There may be a time or two where somebody who is a millennial says, I know you say you're just for Gen Xers, but everything you're saying is resonating with me. Can you work with me? And you get to make the judgment and say, actually, yeah, you are my ideal client. You're a couple of years younger than I usually see, but come on in. Right. We, we are creating safety by being really clear about who is invited and who isn't. I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to make sure I find that quote mm. and share it mm -hmm. all over the place mm -hmm. after I've put this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. Yeah. And I suppose one of the other things is, you know, I suppose we've touched on it, that feeling that we have to hide ourselves, mm. which just doesn't work in marketing. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to be out there doing lives or, I mean, you do yeah. lives. <laughs> You do lies, you do reels. You're very, very good at that. Yeah, thank you. I don't, I, I don't do lives, but I am out there on social media. You are, you are. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's about finding your version of visible. Visible, you know, mm -hmm. by being visible, it doesn't mean that you know you have to listen to people who say you have to be on reels, you have to be on TikTok. Because mm. I don't think you do. I think you find whichever is the, the thing that you like to do most. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I call that a congruence check-in. Is this particular way of marketing congruent with my values? Right. All marketing works, but we don't have to do all marketing. Yeah. Right. So I often ask, you know, is, is getting on Twitter and tweeting 12 times a day really in alignment with my value of having space 
to do meaningful work? Probably not. Or is cold messaging 30 people that I went to university with really in alignment with my values of a person's dignity and worth? Probably not. But something that is in alignment with my values would be to put out a podcast because I value deep conversations and having space for nuance, right? That would be a marketing method that works for me because it's in alignment with my values and how I want to show up. So I think it's helpful to go, yes, all of these marketing methods methods can work, but we certainly shouldn't be doing all of them, not just from you know a, a bandwidth perspective, but also because when we do this kind of scattershot marketing, and we're doing a little bit of Facebook and a little bit of Instagram and a little bit of podcasting and a little bit of blogging, we're doing a whole lot of nothing versus I'm going to write one keyword rich blog once per month for six months and see what happens. That type of crystal clear marketing that works for you, that you know you can stick with, that won't burn you out, will actually give us some really good data to say, oh, of these six blogs, these three topics really resonated and they went really well, I'm going to do more blogs like those topics, right? We can actually gather data and gather feedback versus if we're doing a million things, kind of not really at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when, when I've talked about this before. Sorry, lovely listener, if you've, mm. you've heard me say this before, but you don't have to be on all the platforms. Just pick one. Just Absolutely. do it. Do it well. Just learn it inside out and just do Mm. the best that you can on that one. And you'll get far better results than trying to be on them all. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you don't like it, right? Like I'm not a a Facebook person. So even if Facebook marketing, quote unquote, works for me, I would be irritated being on that platform. For many people, that's Instagram. For many people, that's TikTok. For many people, that's LinkedIn, right? We have to find the platforms where we like to hang out. And that's probably a good indicator that that's a place where we could market our practice. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Self-trust, it's such a good phrase. Mm. I'm going to just highlight it somewhere, self-trust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of any any other way that, you know, our, our training might help make it more difficult to do our marketing? I think our training can make it more difficult to do our marketing because when we are starting out and throughout the course of our careers, we're supposed to get supervision, right? And supervision is an incredibly beneficial thing to say to a counselor who's been in the field longer, hey, I had this strange thing come up. This is how I responded. What do you think, right? We're often asking that. We're saying, tell me what I could do differently. What books do you recommend? Are there any other trainings that can help me with this thing? And and that is powerful. I'm not saying we should stop supervision or stop doing our clinical and professional growth. But when we start out as clinicians, constantly telling somebody, constantly asking somebody else, tell me if what I'm doing is okay, it creates this culture of second guessing what it is that we want to do. So that culture of second guessing then gets built into our marketing. Am I allowed to put a picture of myself on my website? Am I allowed to say I only work with this population? Is it right or is it wrong? If I do a blog or if I do videos, right, we're constantly second guessing. And that is really built in with our training because I don't know about you, Jean, but I had to do those awful, those awful sessions where you're being watched from somebody else. And, you know, it is really beneficial to have somebody who's been in the field for a long time tell you where you could go better or where you could tweak your work. But we're not in a fishbowl any longer, right? So we we don't have to be second guessing what we're doing with our marketing. We can start to trust ourselves to put on our marketing 
And the feedback then that we can get doesn't have to be from other clinicians. It can be from our clients, right? Our client says, oh, that blog post you put out on how to talk to your mother after having a, a tense relationship really resonated with me. And I'm so glad you put it out there. That's how I found you. That tells us, oh, that really worked. That type of marketing yeah. worked and yeah. it resonated. We want our feedback to be more from our clients and our, our potential clients than from other clinicians who are also being trained on second guessing and not yeah. putting themselves out there, right? We need we need a little bit of feedback from people outside of our field. Yeah, yeah. And that resonating is is such an important word. I think that's that's what we're aiming for it, on our on everything really, but on our website, you know, you want people to land on your website and everything to resonate and say, this person really gets me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. 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 We talk a lot about our clients wanting to be seen. We want them to be seen before they even get into our therapy room. We want them to be seen in our marketing. We want them to go, oh, that sounds like me. That looks like me. Those are the problems that I have. These are the things that I want to change. We want them to be seen in our marketing as well. Yeah. And for me, that's when marketing gets to be fun. Yes. Because 100%. you're you're talking about things that you feel passionately about. You're getting doing things that you know are going to help. Whether or not that person comes to you for therapy, you know that that's going to help people that are reading it. You know, mm -hmm. that's when it feels really good. That's when marketing goes from just a horrible thing that you're forced to do to be something that you can actually really enjoy doing. Right. Because you, you know that it's going to be not just there as a big, you know, come to me for therapy, but it's going to be out there just doing good for the world. Mm, Does that yeah. sound like I'm a bit up myself? No, no, no. I love, I love what you just said, though, which is we can help people outside of the therapy room. And when we do our marketing correctly, we are helping people who may never seek out our services especially with today's increasing kind of globalization, right? You, you're you on a different continent than me. And when we found each other through the magic of podcasting and magic of the internet, I might not ever be, you know, over there working with you in that way, but you have still impacted me. And that's really special, right? So we also want to think about, you know, there might be a single mom somewhere across the globe who can benefit from your blog or who can benefit from your podcast and whether or not they ever come work with you, that is making a difference, but it only makes a difference if we're clear and specific about targeting that single mom. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. What's, have you got anything else to add? Uh, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but, but <laughs> I would say, you know, I guess I would just kind of recap a few things because we we've talked about so much, but I would say, Learning how to trust yourself takes time and our training really doesn't equip us to trust ourselves. And, and it's not a bad thing. Our training is not a bad thing, but we have to start practicing. How can we do that check-in and know that it works for us? And then I would say getting comfy, making these little marketing mistakes. I know counselors don't want to make mistakes, but when I say a mistake, I mean, maybe pick the wrong color for your logo, maybe use the wrong keywords for your blog. It's not the end of the world. We can only change once we put it out there. It's kind of leading me to think about, I often tell therapists and counselors to think about their marketing as an experiment, right? When we are doing experiments and when we're, when we're running them, we can only crunch the data that we have so you have to put out a blog post, you have to email, you have to go on LinkedIn or whatever your marketing is of choice 
So then we can analyze that data and make more decisions moving forward that actually help to move the needle. And that also helps with that that spinning our wheels, right? I am sure you have many counselors say, wow, Jane, I'm trying all the things. And you're going, yeah, no, what are you excited? <laughs> because you're doing all the things. But again, if we can do one or two things really, really well, that gives us some good data to make some informed decisions about what's working. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Mm. So self-trust is the thing. That's the word of the, that's the word du jour. It's all about self-trust. I'm going with that. Oh, Lindsay, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. for I always enjoy talking to you, but this subject is one that is so dear to my heart. And we see it clearly, we clearly have, we're in each other's brains here because we're very aligned with how we feel about it by the sound of it. So it's been really lovely talking to you. And I hope that the, the listeners have been, have got something that they can go and think about. You know, that yeah. they can then, you know, maybe do a little bit of journaling about, about, you know, how much they do self-trust, how much they do, how much they are visible in their marketing and maybe have a little bit of a thing, you know, do you spread yourself too thin mm-hmm. and just have a think, you know, what is there from this podcast might just help you, you know, go and have a little yeah. bit of a think about it. Yeah, I, I love our chats too, Jane, and I, I hope that this helps some some counselors as well to take some action. I would say that that can be the loving challenge we we leave them with is to do a journaling exercise or to finally publish that blog post. But you know, starting and, and publishing something can can really help you to feel stronger in the type of work that you're meant to do. Yeah, absolutely. Action is the antidote to fear. <laughs> oh, love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so mm, much. Thank you, Jane. See, I told you she's amazing. And I hope that this opens up an area for you to explore because the more comfortable you are with marketing, the more successful it's going to be. You know yourself, if you like doing something, you just naturally improve at it, don't you? Now, I talked about the podcast that Lindsay and I did in the past. So that's episode 103 and it's called How to Cope with Financial Anxiety. And I'll put that the link to that in the show notes so you'll be able to go and have a little listen to that. So if you do struggle with issues around money and accepting money and having boundaries there, you know, it's going to really help you. Now, I really hope that this podcast helps you with self-trust and enables you to really lean into marketing more so that you enjoy the process more. So thanks for listening to the Grow Your Private Practice show. And if you've found value in this content, I'd be really grateful if you could share this podcast with your therapist, colleagues and friends. You know, we all know word of mouth can be a powerful way to spread the word and help me to reach more therapists who could benefit from this content. So, you know, take a moment, tell your friends about the show and, you know, invite them to tune in. You never know how much of an impact you can make. So thank you so much for your support and let's continue to grow together. Have a fabulous week. Thank you so much for joining me this week. And if you're ready to take action to grow your practice, check out growyourprivatepractice.co.uk. Bye for now.